Welcome everybody back to the Thrive Theology Podcast. Um, if you didn't tune in last week, we are now on week two of a series on the creeds. We're not sure how long it's going to go. Might be two episodes, might be three. We'll see. Um, we've been talking about the creeds because they're something we don't hear a lot about in our churches today, depending on your faith tradition. And Emily and I didn't have a lot of experience with this um, in either in our own churches or in our own personal study for a while. Um, creeds were very important in the early church because they had a lot of heresy to fight and a creed was a way of saying this is what's in this is what's out this is orthodox this is heresy Um, and it made it easier because you could just say this short pithy statement and people knew where you stood based on orthodoxy and so we're going to start off with the apostles creed Okay, so the Apostles' Creed. We know about the Apostles' Creed because of a priest named Rufinus, um, who was a priest around 400 AD. And he recorded that legend said that starting with Peter, each apostle contributed a line to the Apostles' Creed um, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So Peter like stated the first line and then John stated the next line and they just moved that way down and then you know, afterwards they were like, oh, look, a creed. Um, And this legend dates back to the fifth or sixth century, which is well after the creed was actually written. So this is not actually how the creed was written. It was not written by the 12 apostles. Instead, it was written between the second and ninth centuries. And we say that because it went through a few different versions, which we're going to be discussing here in a moment, um, after the apostles had all passed away. This creed is considered to be apostolic. It's called the Apostles' Creed because it affirms the teachings of the 12 apostles. As we mentioned, creeds were really important because oral history was still a big thing in the culture at the time of the early church. Written work and books were very expensive and time-consuming to make. So the average person passed family and cultural history down through oral tradition, which they were very, very good at keeping things um, accurate and correct. The Old Roman form was the first version of the Apostles' Creed, and it originated in Rome. Marcellus of Ancrea was the first bishop of Ancrea and present at both the Council of Ancrea and the First Council of Nicaea. He wrote a profession of faith to a synod at Rome in the year 340 AD. It's probable that this form of the creed existed before this particular work, though, and many scholars date it as far back as the second century. So this is the first we have it in the written record. Other than saying, hey, this is something that the people say before this. And I will read the Apostles' Creed for you. It says, I believe in God the Father Almighty and in Christ Jesus, his only Son, our Lord, who was born from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, who under Pontius Pilate was crucified and buried, on the third day rose again from the dead, ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of the Father. Once he will come to judge the living and the dead, and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the remission of sins, and the resurrection of the flesh. Life everlasting. Now that last phrase, life everlasting, um, it's eliminated by Rufinus's Latin version, dated to about 390 AD. So we're not sure if that was in the original creed. So this creed was originally created to have a clear reference point for what made someone a genuine Christian and to have a clear definition of the teachings of the early church. One of the earliest heresies in the early church was Gnosticism. And if you want to hear more about that, check out episodes 84 and 85 um, of this podcast where we talk about Gnosticism and also refute it. And because of this, later the Apostles' Creed was used to combat what Gnosticism taught and prevent other heresies from also becoming blended into the core doctrines of Christianity. 
So Gnostics who claimed to be Christians made their own creeds. Here's an example of one. It was written by Apelles, who was a second century Gnostic. Okay, so here is the heretical Gnostic creed. It says, we believe that Christ descended from the power above, from the good, and that he is the son of the good, that he was not born of a virgin, and that when he did appear, he was not devoid of flesh, that he formed his body by taking portions of it from the substance of the universe, i.e. hot and cold, moist and dry, that he received cosmical powers in the body and lived for the time he did in the world, that he was crucified by the Jews and died, that being raised again after three days, he appeared to his disciples, that he showed them the prints of the nails and the wound in his side, being desirous of persuading them that he was no phantom, but was present in the flesh, that after he had shown them his flesh, he restored it to the earth, that after he had once more loosed the chains of his body, he gave back heat to what is hot, cold to what is cold, moisture to what is moist, and dryness to what is dry, that in this condition he departed to the good father, leaving the seed of life in the world in the world for those th- who through his disciples should believe in him. So this is the first time I heard this because Emily put this into our notes and I'm like, hold on, what? <laughs> so if you're not familiar with Gnosticism, Gnosticism summed up, like there's a lot to Gnosticism, but it starts with the belief that what is spirit is good and what is flesh is bad. So they talk about in this that Jesus came in the spirit and then he made himself himself a body out of the earth and then he got rid of that body before going up into heaven because they believe that the physical body is bad and evil. So one of the huge heresies of Gnosticism is that Jesus was not fully man, of course. And they came up with this creed and you see that that belief in this creed at several different points. So I think that's really interesting. That's also why they say he wasn't born of a virgin. Cause if you're born of a virgin, you were born, then you were born <laughs> and they don't like that because then yeah. you're physical. So between the fifth and seventh centuries, that's the 400 ADs and the 600 ADs. I always get these mixed up. The Gallican creed was developed from the old Roman creed. This was widely used in Northern Italy, Spain, and Ireland. The creed was short to the point, easy to memorize and recite, and hit on all the core doctrines of the early church. So this is the form of the Apostles' Creed that we use most commonly now. It's in modern English, and it's from the Book of Common Prayer. It says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So you can see from the first one that I had read, this one has some some things added and a couple things changed, especially the end bit there. It definitely touches on the Trinitarian nature of the creed, um, which originated from the baptismal confession, being baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It makes mention of these three persons of God. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. And I believe in the Holy Spirit. So this is neat that we have this from very early. So this is what we know as the Apostles' Creed.
Okay, so that's the Apostles' Creed. Next up, we have the Creed of Nicaea, which is different than the Nicene Creed. Yeah, Let that one stick in your brain for a bit. (laughs) Try and figure that one out. Okay, so the Creed of Nicaea, this originated from the First Council of Nicaea, which was called together by the Roman Emperor Constantine. He's the Roman Emperor who um, basically made Christianity the new religion. Um, And he called together this first council in 325 AD, and this became known as the first ecumenical conference of bishops of the Christian church. Um, There would go on to be seven altogether, um, and these these are the seven conferences that are accepted by the Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, and most Protestant denominations. Um, I don't have a copy of this creed to share with you. It was basically, it would have been really similar to to the creeds that were already circulating at this point. Then we had the Nicene Creed. So the Nicene Creed is also known as the Creed of Constantinople or the Nicaea-Constantinopolitan Creed. That's a word. Um, And it was widely assumed that this creed, the Nicene Creed, was just an extension or a different, more updated version of the Creed of Nicaea, but it's actually more complicated than that. This creed was probably issued by the Council of Constantinople in 381 AD, which was the second ecumenical conference of bishops of the Christian church. It was called to come together by the emperor Theodosius I. This creed was almost certainly based on a baptismal creed, which we've talked about, very similar to the Apostles' Creed, but it was written as a document independent of the Creed of Nicaea. So just to recap, the Creed of Nicaea came out of the Council of Nicaea, The Nicene Creed came out of the uh, Council of Constantinople, which is why it's also called the Nicaea-Constantinopolitan Creed. Um, This is considered to be the only ecumenical creed unifying across the different branches of Christianity. It is the only creed that is affirmed and considered authoritative by the Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, Anglican, and most major Protestant denominations. This is the one thing we can all gather around and say, yes. In contrast, the Apostles' Creed, which we just discussed, and the Athanasian Creed, which we'll be discussing later, are accepted by many, but not all, church denominations. And now I'm going to read to you the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial from the Father. Through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation he came down from heaven, and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried and rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. That was long. Definitely more in depth than the Apostles' Creed, and it seems to be more theologically clear and nuanced than the Apostles' Creed as well. Yeah. The one phrase in here um, where it says that the Holy Spirit came from the Father and the Son, 
Um, that wasn't in the original Nicene Creed. It was added later in the 6th century in the Western Church, and it was most likely accepted by the papacy, meaning the Roman Catholics, in the 11th century. And the phrase, and the Son, is accepted by all denominations except Eastern Orthodox. While they affirm Jesus is the Son of God, they believe this addition to be a theological error. To learn more about the Eastern Orthodox Church, you can check out our episode um, number 34 on, of the podcast. All right, next up we have the Chalcedonian Creed. So, the Council of Chalcedon was the fourth ecumenical conference of leaders of the Christian church. Remember, we had said that there would be seven, and it was held in 451 AD. It was called together by Emperor Marcion. Chalcedon is modern day Katakoi, Turkey, and this council was the largest and best documented council. So, we know lots about it. This council approved both the first Creed of Nicaea, which was from 325 AD, and the later Nicene Creed, or the Creed of Constantinople, in 381 AD. Perhaps most significant is that the Council of Chalcedon formally rejected the belief that Christ had only one nature. It stated that Jesus was both fully God and fully man, which of course is a core doctrine in the Christian faith today. And that was widely accepted by the church before. It's just that this council affirmed it in writing with all the leaders of the early church. At the time of the Council of Chalcedon, there was a lot of controversy between Eastern and Western churches regarding the nature of the incarnation, as well as how much influence over the church the Roman Pope and the Byzantine Emperor should have. The Byzantine Emperor was the Eastern Roman Empire. So you had the Roman Catholic Bishop in the West, and then you had the Emperor of the Byzantine Empire in the East, and they were arguing somewhat over how much influence both of these leaders should have in the entire church. And because the Eastern and Western churches were obviously closer to one leader or the other, they were involved in this as well. So while the Western churches and some Eastern churches accepted the Chalcedonian Creed, there were, there were some Eastern churches that did not accept it. So now I'm going to read the Chalcedonian Creed for you. And listen for the, they spent a decent amount of time in this creed talking about the two natures of Christ. So listen for that as well as I'm reading. It says, we then following the Holy Fathers, all with one consent, teach men to confess one and the same son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood, truly God and truly man of a reasonable soul and body consubstantial with us according to the manhood in all things like unto us without sin begotten before all ages of the father according to the godhead and in these latter days for us and for our salvation born of the virgin mary the mother of god according to the manhood one and the same christ son lord only begotten to be acknowledged in two natures inconfusedly unchangeably indivisibly inseparably the distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved and concurring in one person and one subsistence, not parted or divided into two persons, but one and the same son, the only begotten God, the word, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the prophets from the beginning have declared concerning him and the Lord Jesus Christ himself taught us and the creed of the Holy Fathers has handed down to us. That is all one sentence. So sorry for the clunky reading. It's hard to know where to pause when it's all one sentence. They must like have learned from lines. Paul. Yeah. <laughs> 
lots of commas and semicolons. So the Chalcedonian Creed combated three major heresies. First is Gnosticism, that spirit is good and flesh is bad. So Jesus is only really spirit with the appearance of man. So they combated that. Um, Arianism, Jesus was a created being and therefore being lower than God. And Nestorianism, the son of God, divine Jesus, and the son of man, human Jesus, were two different persons who occupied the same body. Um, when I was at Liberty, I took a historical theology class where we went through the history of the church and talked about different issues. And I remember when we got to this point of church history, reading some, something about the creeds. And the question was, what is the bare bones basics of what you can believe and be a Christian? So what can you say? These are the things that define a Christian, no matter what else they believe, this means that they're a Christian. And as we get further along into church history, especially at this point, there are so many heresies that the creeds are getting longer because there's more and more things to say, okay, you can't believe this and be a Christian, or this is the definable thing that is a Christian. So it gets longer and longer because they're trying to put walls in place to say, this is it. This is what it really is. You can't be a Christian and also believe these other things, which I find is interesting that they have to do this, but it's also helpful to see where the lines were back then. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because if you go back to the Apostles' Creed, which we talked about at the beginning of this episode, it says, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. That's what it says about the person of Jesus. It's like three lines. Then you go down to the Chalcedonian Creed, and they spend like half of the creed explaining what they mean by the the two natures of Christ and mm-hmm. him being fully God and fully man. And like Bethany said, that's because suddenly you had like a variety of heresies that came up with different theories for how Jesus could be God and man. And none of them are satisfactory, of course, because one says, well, he wasn't really man. Another says he wasn't really God. And the other one says, well, he was both, but like he had two people he could switch between in his body and, and that's all wrong. So now they have to go through and clarify what they mean when they say that Jesus was the son of God and born of a virgin. Yeah. So it does just become a lot more complicated and that's where you have. And then because there's more and more detail and nuance, churches start splitting and they're like, well, you know, when you just said Jesus was the son of God, we said that was fine. But now you're saying it means this specifically, and we don't quite agree with that. So we're going to go do our own thing. And that's where around this period in history, right, where you see the Eastern and Western churches arguing. And there's also political issues that happen too, but you do see, you can, you can see why churches started splitting off of each other and forming different denominations. Yeah. It's a, we believe this, but not that, and not that, and definitely not that. (laughs) Yeah. And it's interesting too, like you can, and now every single church and denomination has a statement of faith, right? And it's not the same as a creed, but it's like laying out what they believe about the core doctrines and non-core doctrines as well. Like this is how we do baptism and this is how we think that we celebrate the Lord's Supper and this is how we pray and this is how we worship and we, uh, uh, we have adhere to this principle of worship, or we adhere to this way of doing the Lord's Supper, and this is how Jesus becomes the body and bread of, you know, and it's just so many details can get so overwhelming so quickly, Mm -hmm. which is part of the reason it's fun to go back and, and realize it wasn't always that complicated. Yeah. Next, we have the Athanasian Creed. 
This creed is the longest of all the Christian creeds, and it's not just a simple statement of faith, but more of a theological statement or lesson about core doctrines of the faith. The author of the Athanasian Creed is unknown, but it was widely attributed to Athanasius of Alexandria, and he lived from around 293 to 373 AD, so about 80 years. Athanasius was a strong fighter for the fully divine and fully human nature of Christ. He fought vehemently against the heresies of his day, which we discussed a moment ago, specifically Arianism. Most scholars are convinced that Athanasius didn't write the Athanasian Creed, but rather it was attributed to him because of the nature of the creed, which it being an apologetic defense of the core doctrines of the gospel. Most scholars believe that the creed was written in the 5th century, which is, again, is the 400s, um, though many believe it could have been written later since it doesn't show up in history until about 633, which is at the 4th Council of Toledo, not Ohio. Its authorship is widely attributed to Vincent of Lorenz, who is a French saint. In many respects, the Athanasian Creed reaffirms the statements of the Chalcedonian Creed, especially stating that Jesus is perfect God and perfect man. The Athanasian Creed also states that the divine nature of Christ did not change into a more human nature, but instead took on or assumed the physical human nature. So instead of the divine nature of Christ lowering itself and becoming more human, it was rather taking on the human nature. Here are the first several lines of the Athanasian Creed. It's very long. We are not going to read it. And you're probably thankful for that because we've already read a lot of creeds to you today. Um, but the Athanasian Creed, like Bethany said, is probably called the Athanasian Creed because it's very apologetic in nature. So it's so long because he was literally defending the faith in this statement. It wasn't meant like the Apostles' Creed to be a basic standard for what makes you a Christian or not. Instead, it was written as a defense of the faith. But here's how it starts out. It says, whoever wishes to be saved needs above all to hold the Catholic faith. Unless each one preserves this whole and inviolate, he will without a doubt perish in eternity. But the Catholic faith is this, that we venerate one God in the Trinity and the Trinity in oneness, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Spirit. But the divine nature of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit is one. Their glory is equal. Their majesty is co-eternal. So he clearly is like trying to lay out the doctrine of the Trinity. And he goes on um, to address various points of the Christian faith in this statement. There are some other early church creeds. There's a lot of smaller ones that are lesser known or weren't at a huge council or anything like that. Um, one of these is the creeds uh, is the creed of Arius and Eusoius. There's a lot of vowels in that name. <laughs> um, it's, it was written by these two Christians who wrote a definition of their faith to Emperor Constantine. And this was written in 327 AD. It's really lengthy as well, because again, this is more of a letter to an emperor, but it starts like this. Arius and Eusoius, to our most reverent and pious Lord, Emperor Constantine. That kind of sound that reminds me of how Paul would start his letters. Yeah. I, Paul, to the churches. Yes. Um, that was how they started letters back then. They say, in accord with the command of your devout piety, sovereign Lord, we declare our faith and in writing profess before God that we and our adherents believe as follows. And they go on to describe um, a variety of nuance about the Christian faith. Aside from that, we had a bajillion church councils <laughs> and all that. 
Um, A few of them were the first synod of Antioch in 325 AD. You had the second dedication of Antioch in 341 AD, the baptismal creed of Jerusalem in 350, and the apostolic constitutions between 350 and 380 AD. There's lots. I did not look all of those up for the sake of time. Um, but if you want to learn more about the creeds and all that sort of thing, there's tons of information out there and it's really interesting to learn more about that part of our church history. That was a really heavy episode, a couple of episodes, two of them, but like a lot of information. It is a lot of information. I find it helpful though, because we're so focused on the here and now in our culture because everything's happening fast and because we have immediate access to everybody's personal thoughts because they're putting them out there. I find that it's helpful and almost um, like a meditation of just thinking through of all the histories that have come before and all these people who spent time and effort thinking about discussing, working about um, all of these different creeds and how that has affected the church now. So we're going to leave you there with these creeds. This ended up being a two-parter. So if you didn't listen to the first part yet, go check that one out. We talk about the Didache, which was an early Christian writing, as well as um, some other smaller creeds and apologies. For our recommended resources, you can check that out in the show notes. And like I said last episode, I will be putting up a blog post with additional resources. So if you find yourself still wanting more after checking out those recommended resources, keep an eye out for that blog post. It will be coming out shortly and you can take a look and do a deeper dive into the creeds and all of that church history. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Thanks for tuning into the Thrive Theology Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave us a rating or review. For show notes, resources, blog posts, and a complete archive of episodes, visit us at thrivetheology.com. And you can follow us on Instagram at Thrive Theology. We'll chat with you next time. Thank you.